Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK geek science fiction, fantasy and horror podcast, episode 460, recorded on Saturday the 29th of October 2022 at 22.57.28. Oh, this has been a long time coming. I'm so sorry for the delay, it's due to, well, let me summarise. Health issues, technical difficulties. (laughs) There's actually a lot more written down on my show notes about that, but you know what, I don't want to get into it. Not today, not right now. Today we are continuing, finally, our revisit of Vintage Doctor Who. Today we are talking about Warrior's Gate from 1981. As usual, let's start off with some cast, crew and production notes. Tom Baker is the fourth Doctor. He is accompanied by his companions, Romana, played by Lala Ward, and Adric, played by Matthew Woodhouse, and K-9, played by John Leeson. I don't have any additional information about notable cast today. As I usually say, I'm sure many of the cast were notable, though nothing jumped out at me. The director was Paul Joyce, who was also a quite well-known photographer, and another chap called Graham Harper, who was uncredited. Apparently... Graham Harper was the only director of episodes in both Old Who and New Who. The writer was Stephen Gallagher. The producer, John Nathan Turner. This was an entirely filmed in studio story at BBC Television Centre at Shepherd's Bush in 1980. As for broadcast, this was story 113. Serial 5 from Season 18, and follows on from State of Decay, which we covered back in episode 454. There were four around 25-minute episodes, and this story was first broadcast from the 3rd of January to the 24th of January, 1981. So it was the first Doctor Who story in 1981. Moving on to Zeitgeist, what happened on that day of the first broadcast of the story in the UK? As I've just said, the most important thing, of course, was first Doctor Who story of 1981. But apart from that, a person called Princess Alice... Countess of Athlone, who was the last of Queen Victoria's 42 grandchildren, died. And in the UK charts, oh dear, there's no one quite like Grandma by St. Winifred's School Choir was number one. And while there really isn't anyone like one's grandmother, pass me the sick bag. It's one of those episodes. (laughs) No sentiment. Alright, maybe a little sentiment. Look, I'm going to roll an audio clip, but I hope you enjoy. 
when I say I'm going to roll an audio clip, I haven't actually done that yet. I'll do that in the editing process, but hopefully it'll be something that is enjoyable. And then after that, we will talk about what happens, and then I'll tell you what I thought about what happens. Who are you? I am Birok! Quick, quick, inside! What's the matter? I'm not coming with you. You were the noblest Romana of them all! Alright then, I hope that piqued your interest. Let's talk about what happens. The TARDIS has become trapped in the limbo between E and N space. There, also, we find a human ship, marooned, the Leonine Thurl Navigator, a slave called Byrock, escapes, walks through the strange landscape, into the TARDIS, and warns the Doctor... Venturing outside with K-9, the Doctor is attacked by killer robots and K-9 is damaged. I'm just breaking in here from the cutting room to mention a few omissions, because at this point the Doctor is in some ancient ruins where he tinkers with the robots and also where he'll later find this magic mirror. I should have mentioned that during the show. I didn't, so I'm mentioning it now. The captain of the human ship, Rorvik, finds the TARDIS and takes Romana prisoner because she, like their feral slaves, is also a time-sensitive psychic who may be able to help them escape null space. Adric and K-9 follow. Adric hides on the ship, and K-9's memory wafers helps the Doctor extract information from the robot. The Doctor learns that these robots were built by slaves during a revolt. Seeing a robot walking through a mirror, the Doctor follows escaping Rorvik and his crew. Romana is rescued by Atharil, finds Adric, and together they discover that the ship is made from a material called Dwarf Star Alloy, which is the only material that is strong enough to imprison the Tharils. But it is also dense enough, as its name suggests, to cause Null Space to eventually collapse, dooming them all. Romana is also taken through the gateway in the mirror, where she rejoins the Doctor and Byrock. Byrock says that they were once the Masters, using the winds of time to raid planets until the revolt. The Doctor and Romana return to Null Space and are taken prisoner by Rorvik and his crew, Panicking in the short time before Null Space collapses, the humans attempt to blast a hole through the mirrors with a big gun-like machine. It fails and explodes, though the crew and the captain survive. Romana and Adric help Atharil to free the slaves. Captain Rorvik 
uses his ship's huge engines to try and crack the mirror, resulting in a second explosion that is much bigger and destroys the ship and everyone aboard her. The Tharals escape through the mirror, and Romana, who has formed a bond with Byrock, says she will stay and help. The Doctor gives her K-9. He tells her she was the best Romana. The Doctor told earlier by a Tharal that he need do nothing to escape Null Space, says goodbye to Romana and enters the TARDIS. Okay, that is what happens. Let me tell you what I thought. Even before I knew anything really about Stephen Gallagher enough to be a fan, and by the way, I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing his name the right way, Gallagher or Gallagher. Well, I'm spoiled by the Oasis Brothers. I'm not sure now what to say. I read his movie novelizations of Saturn 3 from 1980 and Silver Dream Racer from 1980. Saturn 3, great film, Farrah Fawcett, Kirk Douglas, Harvey Keitel. See it if you haven't already seen it. It is a strange film. You have to see it. And it is science fiction and there's a big robot. That's the important things. And Silver Dream Racer was a film about a motorcycle racer, I think. And it starred David Essex. Again, I enjoyed that film back then. Not a genre film, but decent enough. Might be a bit hokey in retrospect, but it's been a long time since I've seen them. Anyway, back to Stephen Gallagher or Gallagher. I became a fan after reading October, a novel that was published in 19... 88. It has a psychic link between wolves and humans, and it's a whole thing. It's very interesting, probably too complicated to get into right now. There was a TV series made of the novel. That's not bad. The novel's better. Then I read, after being blown away by October, in this order... The Boathouse from 1991, and Follow from 1984. There are other books and TV adaptations from Stephen Gallagher, who is a prolific author and scriptwriter, like the novel Rain, published in 1990, which I have had on my reading list since 1990. The Stephen Gallagher-esque mess of this script is there from the outset. It's grimmer and different to previous adventures. There are his characteristic touches of the blue collar, the industrial and the urban. There's even a Kilroy Wazir painted on the bulkhead of the human ship. It's a little bit Red Dwarf. There's also a couple of low-level maintenance men who are, again, very reminiscent of the lower ranks of the crew of Red Dwarf. Stephen Gallagher likes and empathises with his creatures. His previous bestiary includes wolves and a Russian Razorka water monster, 
so the Leonine Thariel are no surprise. Much later, CJ Cherai's Harney came into my mind, as did the human-lion hybrid Leos of John Crowley's Beasts. The latter I thoroughly recommend, and it's, in fact, on a bookshelf right in front of me. I can barely see it because I'm not wearing my glasses, but it's there. When the Doctor says, Pyrock, he's gone again. It's like talking to a Cheshire cat. He's referring to Lewis Carroll's character from Alice in Wonderland's fading trick. Though it is an appropriate comparison, I can't help thinking it's more to do with Salford-born Gallagher not being able to resist the Mancunian reference. The seemingly contradictory theme of gentle Leonines versus brutal humans isn't as simple as it seems. The Leonines were once enslaving kings. Who's good, who's bad, it's all a matter of history. There's something depressing about learning you're the bad guy only after a bigger and nastier bad guy comes along. But there is also the promise of future change, though, as we all know, we always learn from our past mistakes, don't we? Though we are talking here about Leonine aliens, so maybe they will learn from their mistakes, as we humans don't seem to do. Random generation using tossed coins to consult the I Ching, the holistic view, astral young, there are adults for whom the script would fly stratospherically over their heads. I'm thinking back to when I first saw this. Did I see this back in 1981? I don't know, I can't remember. Would that have gone over my head? I'm not sure. I do know that Around this age, I was really into the unusual, let us say, supernatural, the occult, ESP, all that stuff absolutely fascinated me. So perhaps it wouldn't be completely over my head, but I'm guessing maybe for the average fewer demographic age group this is aimed at, perhaps. It's a complex and interesting story. The null space limbo between N and E space reminded me of the big blank nothingness between places in cult British author Mick Farron's far future The DNA Cowboys trilogy. That, as I only semi-reliably remember, also required specialised navigators to traverse. If you decide to read the books of the DNA Cowboys trilogy, I'll warn you up front that you should imagine a debauched sci-fi western-themed party hosted by Penthouse magazine. <laughs> Let's talk about poor old K-9, because here we go again with John Nathan Turner's unrelenting, vicious vendetta against our poor doggy. In this adventure, he's blown up and tossed like garbage. Not the first time that's happened. Batteries are so flat, he's too weak to use his nose blaster. And finally, he's left behind with Romana. You ditched him at last, didn't you, JNT? 
didn't you just? Let's talk about Romana now. I'm always surprised how fast the Doctor's companions find romance. To their credit, Susan, Zoe, Joe, Leela, all seem to have really good judgement in finding excellent partners. Now that I think about it, I can't remember what happened to Zoe, but I'm guessing she did. She found someone. There's also an element of the Tharils being an attractive species. Not only is Romana charmed by Byrock, whose face she strokes, much to his pleasure, but the Doctor is escorted to safety by a sexy Tharil woman. Let's talk about Dwarf Star Alloy. <laughs> Sci-fi material. There is something very, very familiar about that. Have I heard this in another British science fiction series? It feels like I have. Or something like it. Perhaps Neutronium, which presumably is the key constituent of the fictional material. It has twanged something in my memory. Maybe I'm just misremembering Warrior's Gate, thinking it was something else that I watched, but I don't know. I did some internet searching, nothing turned up. If you've heard of Neutronium or an alloy of Neutronium used in another British science fiction TV show, let me know. Listener participation. Finally, I feel there is almost too much for four episodes, and much of the plot is spread too thinly until the last episode. Thus, that last episode feels very, very crammed. On the plus side, the entire story taken as a whole is so packed full of ideas and weirdness that I got through the four episodes quickly. Usually... It can drag in places, even four-episode format. The six-episode format's even worse. This one didn't. It went by in a flash. It did not feel like two hours-ish. It felt much shorter than that. When it was all over, I bade farewell, finally, to Romanad Voratralunda a second time. Trivia... Stephen Gallagher wrote the novelization for this and his latest script, Terminus, under his nom de plume, John Lidecker. Apparently, from what I've read on Wikipedia, these were written in an unusual way, as one continuous length of prose presumably broke up into paragraphs, but no chapters. While that isn't quite as bad as Cormac McCarthy it probably means that these won't be books that I'll be tucking into. I prefer my novels in a more conventional layout. Oh, I'm saying that, though. I remember reading Tiger Tiger, The Stars My Destination, and that is laid out in a strange way, and there's ASCII art, and maybe I'm being too harsh. And that is it for my talk about Doctor Who. Warrior's Gate, from 1981. As we're in the after-show section, 
I just wanted to add that this is the second time I've had to record this. The first time was actually a few days ago, but what happened was I was ill enough that what was recorded was okay. I mean, it covered all the items in the show notes. The problem was I sounded really delirious and out of it because I was really delirious and out of it. Hopefully this one sounds a little better. I'm still recovering. I'll talk about that in a later podcast. But it is good to be back and talking science fiction, fantasy and horror and Doctor Who. The show that you just listened to is produced, presented and edited by me, Roy Matur, a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMatur.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen, recommend it to a friend or mortal enemy, or click on the contact or support link on the website. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. You are listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK geek science fiction, fantasy, and horror podcast. This was episode 460, recorded on Saturday the 29th of October 2022, and the time at the end of the show is 23.30.33. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye.